This is Uyghur Stories. Stories from the Uyghur diaspora. Uh, hi, Mukadas. How are you? Good, Vanessa. How are you? Good. I'm very happy to have you for our episode on film. Because uh, you have many hats, right? You're a researcher, you're uh, also an artist and a filmmaker. And so today I wanted to ask you a few questions about uh, your your experience uh, in making a first feature film, mm -hmm. Nika. Mm -hmm. So your film was released this year and it has been shown on many campuses, in festivals, and it's still available on Arte Channel mm -hmm. uh, websites. Uh, so that's... Uh, uh, Very easy to find that film. Um, but I would like to have a short discussion about what it's like to make a movie. Uh, it's very different from what you did before. Yes. Uh, however, you, you did film before, right? So yeah. Could you tell us about your experience about filmmaking in general? Yeah, thank you, Vanessa. Um, yes, I started um, actually with my field work. Uh, when I started to study at, um, at the University of Paris-Nanterre, on ethnomusicology, um, whenever I wanted to do my fieldwork, I would go with my camera. So I documented a lot of my fieldwork, people singing, dancing, and sharing their life stories with me. Um, gradually, I had this archive, and then I had this um, idea of creating some short documentary, actually ethnographic films, uh, to serve as a part of my research. So I used um, my fieldwork uh, documentation in my MA. So I created one my first ethnographic film about uh, Sufi zikrs. And then um, when I was doing my PhD, I started to work on young musicians. So I created a documentary about um, a rock band from Urumqi who came to Germany and um, had this wonderful experience. So I created another documentary film for my PhD. So that's how I started to make film, actually, uh, by doing research. I see. That's a, a very interesting way to illustrate your research. But Nika is a bit special because it's a fiction film. Yes. So it's, it's not a documentary. Uh, could you tell us why that was important to you to make it as a fiction film? Um, uh, whenever I was working on films, do, uh, ethnographic or documentary films, I felt this uh, very um, a kind of inner voice uh, calling me to express myself, to have a voice myself as an artist. That was something that I had um, since the very beginning, even though... When you work on an ethnographic film, you will have a, a, an artistic cut, uh, I would say. Um, but uh, after making several documentary films, I started to realize that I wanted to create something by my own. And at the same time, I had this uh, life experience where my families and my, um, my fellow Uyghurs started to pressure me because I was not married at that point. Uh, so that was a Um, a story that I wanted to talk about, to, to tackle, and I understood immediately that it was very difficult to make a documentary film about because I know uh, a lot of women who had the same experience as me or even like worse experience than me would never speak out. So fiction was actually my own, only choice to have a critical point of view about 
um, this excessive pressure on women in Uyghur society after um, uh, everyone turns 25, actually, to get married. Or mm-hmm. the, Uyghur, the Uyghur society is a very traditional society. And um, uh, women's rights is very um, still not a big topic in Uyghur society. So I wanted to tackle this issue with fiction. So would you say your film is about uh, women's rights uh, and pressure, uh, social pressure or family pressure on, on young women um, among the Uyghur community? Um, the starting point was, was that. Um, I started to have this idea of a fiction film um, to really uh, talk about this pressure on women, especially. And uh, since 2016, as you know, things are started to shift in Uyghur region uh, drastically. And um, uh, at that point, I started to speak out about what was happening uh, to Uyghurs and Kazakhs and others. So, and, and then I realized that I would never be able to go back to shoot this film. Uh, and also at that, at that point, it was important for me to speak out about the other pressure, the, the bigger pressure, the, the political and the Chinese government's pressure. So um, we added that layer later on, the bigger pressure. So you first, your first idea was to uh, shoot in the Uyghur region, yes. right? And uh, when we watch the film and we don't know anything about the location, we really feel like we are in Hulja, actually. Mm. Uh, that that's quite amazing. So, where are we exactly in that <laughs> film? What's the trick? How did you make it so authentic? Um, the initial idea was to shoot the film in Urumqi. Actually, I when I when I first started to write the script, I had Urumqi in my mind because that was my city. I was born born there. Um, but um, when we started to realize that it was not possible to go to the Uyghur region to sh- uh, shoot the film, um, I realized that it was too complicated to recreate Urumqi somewhere else. But um, at that point, I started to travel in the other part of Central Asia. I started to discover uh, other countries like Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan. Um, and I had that that feeling of um, similarity in between Rulja and those uh, places because Rulja is one of the um, city had received some Russian influences came from the other part of uh, Central Asia so there's art- architectural and some color some flavor of um, Central Asia like very similar so I had that idea that we could that was possible to recreate Rulja instead of Urumqi in one of the Central Asian countries. We are not telling specifically where it was uh, shot because um, the local crew who was, um, the people who was involved in the shooting, um, they specifically asked us not to name the country it was um, filmed uh, because of the security concern, because as you know, Central Asia was, is also uh, very under pressure of uh, Chinese government. So they were quite afraid of some kind of danger that will come from their own uh, um, government. Um, the The trick is, <laughs> um, it's kind of, I was talking about this uh, the other day in uh, Sheffield, um, um, conference um, 
is it's like a remote ethnography actually. So um, to work with the film crew, to work with the set designers, I had to document or I had to go and search for images from from the Uyghur region. So remotely, I went to. I went on uh, Instagram or Google, Facebook to find images from Hulja to create a kind of visual archive. I had I used this app called Miru, so you can map up uh, um, a lot of things. You can add visual and textual uh, content. So scene by scene, I created what kind of images we were looking for, what kind of act architectural specificity, what kind of colors for each room or each set that we would be in. Um, I put a lot of uh, work, of course, a lot of many hours of work uh, in it. But um, I wanted to, uh, you know, like really have this idea of um, the Uyghur region throughout colors, um, throughout some um, some elements that we add in the set and also some kind of additional work that the set designers are created uh, locally. Um, what you saw in the film, most of them are like all, everything that you saw uh, except some outside uh, shots is um, really um, added uh, in the location because we repaint the walls, we choose furnitures for, for rooms, and we also added curtains. Um, everything was recreated, actually, from my memory memory and from my uh, the archival work that I did, the remote ethnographic work that I did for the crew. Uh, and another trick which really worked well is we had some images of Hulja shot by tourists, um, especially one person who went to the Uyghur region in 2018. Um, and I asked him if I can use these footages and he kindly accepted. So we added those images as a phone images. So it created a kind of like um, illusion of, oh, there's images of the region. So maybe, you know, like people buy it. I mean, people like really emotionally accept the fact that this is like what we are presenting as Olja. So to, to shorten my answer is like there's a lot of work put into that, but um, I think it worked. It worked indeed, and the result is quite amazing, I have to say. Um, because you, you mentioned the fact that the crew um, in the Central Asian you work, country you worked in um, did not want to be uh, publicly um, identified. How about actors? Because uh, none of your actors are professional actors, right? So... Um, but you can't hide them and we know them by their names. And so was it difficult to find them and uh, how did it work? Oof, that was a lot of <laughs> a lot of hours of stalking <laughs> on Instagram um, because um, that was another bigger challenge, I, I would say, um, with the help of a um, casting designer. We looked through many, many profiles in on Instagram and we wrote to a lot of Uyghur girls who live uh, outside of the region. Uh, many of them, they um, s sent, answered. First of all, some of them, they, they thought it was like um, 
uh, you know, spam or someone was like trying to get information from them that there were some people kind of felt weird that they're a film crew making a film and um, and also a lot of them, they responded saying, um, this is a really interesting project. I'm really honored, but I cannot be part of it because uh, my family is still living there and I cannot put them in danger. So that was kind of a general response to the extent of like, I was really desperate. I didn't know what was happening. And also I was ready to take on the, the lead role myself uh, because um, it was really complicated to find actresses. Um, finally, and luckily enough, we had um, um, Guzel Nour, Dilfouzet, Gülcehre. They were all ready to, um, you know, like take on these roles, even though they're not professionals. Uh, as an engagement, as as an, a kind of statement to the injustice what was happening in the Uyghur region, and they wanted to have a voice, and then they wanted to tell the story um, and be beside me. And um, for them, it was really important to be part of this project. And, and another important thing is like they all had European citizenship, so um, they were safer than the other um, girls who didn't have, um, still have Chinese passport. Um, so yeah, and then we had some local actress. Um, uh, uh, as you know, in Central Asia, there is a huge Uyghur community there. Um, so some of the people that you saw in the film, they're from the, the city that we were um, shooting the film. And um, we were also very ready to... Um, be part of this film as a kind of political statement. That's a very interesting that you mentioned that uh, simply playing in a film is a form of statement or engagement um, because there are some critics uh, that I've heard from the Uyghur community or in other parts of the world about making a fiction film or art in general not being political enough uh, in times of crisis, not being useful enough. What do you think about this kind of statement and how do you react to that? Why is art important? I um, personally think art is important because it um, offers a human story. Because Uyghurs, um, the Uyghur story now, the, the general uh, storyline is this is a genocide people who are suffering, poor people, you know, like Uyghur Muslims or like something, something, um, which I think is really uh, dehumanizing. Uh, I feel like I don't want to be a part of or considered only as genocide people because this that's not my reality. I have my voice. I have... Uh, my own issues. I'm a normal human being as anyone else. Um, too much polit political work or political activism um, brings us into directly to that box of genocide, uh, political oppression, um, some pain, etc. So, uh, art. What art can do is to help us to get out of that box to present um, an emotional side of us. Um, so for me, um, art has a very important role to play, not only to 
tell the world that we are human beings as no one, uh, as anyone else. It's also for us. It's uh, as a as a people who is in deep, deep pain. Uh, it's a kind of um, healing process as well. Art can help you to exteriorize um, a lot of issues that we, you cannot put into words or simply um, being active politically, but it it reminds us to be uh, human beings, hum- emotional human beings, like to process our emotions. That's very important. You remind us that not all Uyghurs want to be defined by their oppression and that Art is a way to go beyond uh, that boxes that you mentioned. So that's indeed very important. Um, so I, I have to ask, what's next? Because that's uh, it sounds like just the beginning of a big project. Yeah, indeed. Um, this is just a middle-length film. And uh, I think the power of fiction is like really... Um, I never imagined that it, it has that much power. It conveys emotions and it brings people together and it's um it's a collective experience it's a collective emotion it it can live very long actually the the fiction film uh nika is out there in the in the clouds in the world and uh, it will have a very long life and it will continue telling the story so Um, I'm very interested in now making my very first full-length film. I had some ideas, um, you know. Um, I'm always very interested in this um, uh, displacement of people and living uh, outside of where they were born and how to cope with this, what we were ta- talking about, this um pain and also like how to define yourself where everyone else defining you as a genocide people so how people are coping with um all these um you know like inner and outer pressures even like the world like lamenting on your you saying oh you're a poor person that's also something very complicated to process as a human being so i'm very interested in like uh Uh, telling stories of how someone from that region experiencing all this pain, pressure, surveillance, etc., to still uh, have a normal life or like, yeah, something like that. That That's something that I'm working on. The second idea that I have is um, based on everybody's gun experience that you saw, Vanessa. Uh, I'm very interested in how the tools that Chinese government use to control people uh, can affect uh, people who lives in the free world. So another idea that I'm tackling is how those um, people who take role in the show, you know, like to play uh, a teacher or a guard, so how... Chinese government's oppressionistic, oh, the tools that Chinese government use that we used in the show will affect those people. So it's another like twisted, like psychological 
idea. So I, I don't know. I'm just developing some ideas. I see. Well, that's um, very uh, interesting and I'm uh, very much looking forward because that's intriguing as well. Um, but that leads me to another question because uh, making a movie, that means um, technical skills, equipment, lots of people around you, not just actors, but also technicians. And uh, so that means budgets. Um, and if there are other Uyghurs uh, who are interested in making movies, have ideas of scripts and everything, what would you tell them? How would you advise them? Because you, you need to find the uh, material conditions to actually make a film. It's very different from, uh, for instance, painting or singing or there you need you need a whole uh, team with you. So... How did you do that and what, what would you tell people um, about it? Yeah, it's a very complicated and long process. For Nika, we spent almost six years to uh, be able to have some fundings. Uh, it requires a lot of work on having a good script. So I worked with several different people, a script doctor and some screenwriters and we had almost I would I can say easily that I had like 20 different versions of the script to be able to convince people, the funders to to tell them that I am I am capable of like making this film. And also Bastian um that my co-director He was my producer and then at one point he joined in the directing team because we, that was also something that we needed to convince people that um, this film can be made because it's not just, it's very ambitious. So it's not just one person, but two people doing it. Um, so it's a lot of convincing to do, but um, uh, it takes time. It needs more professional help. So if someone wants to, to make a film, a fiction film, and trying to find some fundings in the diaspora, I, I would suggest that they go um, search for, for help from a producer first. That's the first step. Um, so professionals, pe professional people, they know where to look for and, and how to you know, help shape the script, how, how, how to shape the... Um, um, funding demands, uh, where to find fundings. Um, that's something that, um, that's the first step, I would say. And then from there, when you have good enough script, when people trust you and they, they believe in your project, things will come like quite naturally because of cinema world Yes, there's a lot of people involved. There's a lot of techniques involved, technicality involved, but it's a very organized world. So whenever uh, a project is um, mature enough, uh, there will be fundings and there will be all technical people uh, be there. But for that, the project needs to be mature and you as a director, you have to, to have like a very um, mature Uh, vision of your project because you need to be able to communicate what you have in your mind to 30-something people. So it's also a skill that you have to develop. You know, like you, it, it doesn't just um, enough to have an idea, but it's it 
it has to be um, uh, very concrete, uh, well worked on, um, well thought through and um, well communicated. So those are the things that uh, are very important for making films, I would say. So speaking of more films coming from the Uyghur diaspora, um, we have another guest today, yes. uh, Benjamin Semet, who is a filmmaker. He was trained as a filmmaker uh, in the Uyghur region, and we are waiting for his film, um, the, the uh, entitled "Waiting for the End." Uh, it was scheduled for release in the summer this year as a short film, but then it was rescheduled and changed into a longer film. Uh, that's all we know for now. And uh, I have, uh, I'm sure we have a few questions we want to ask yeah. Memajan Semet too about he, the conditions in which he made his film and maybe he could tell us a little bit about what the film is about, um, how he managed to gather all the team and, and the budget and the equipment and so on. So let's see what his experience is yeah, like. Yeah, that will be really interesting to have another take on what is filmmaking in the diaspora look Indeed. like. Yeah. yeah. Mamachan grew up in a small village in the remote area of Uyghur homeland. He shared with us uh, one of the very best memories that he had as a child in his village is one of the... Um, projectionist coming to their village once a month and project some uh, films. These films were Indian or Chinese propaganda films. Uh, at a very young age, he was fascinated by the moving images. He wrote his first script uh, more like a story and sent it to an editor to publish it. And the editor uh, immediately responded to him saying it was like a picture-like story, so it, he should turn it into a film. In 2008, he went to Urumqi to study. He was inspired by the possibilities that this new environment offered him. He spent almost three years watching whatever film he could find and wrote a long script, He brought the script to Abdikirim Ablis, one of the very famous comedian in Uyghur homeland. In 2009, he worked on some short stories turned into um, music videos. He directed these short stories and even acted in these videos. Um, he started to learn cinema at the Xinjiang Art Institute. He started to make some short films as well while he was studying. These films had some successes. They were copied and sold uh, in black markets in the rural areas in the Uyghur homeland. He then made a few other short films. One of them was selected for the first Kyoruk Cup film festival in Urumqi and had a huge success in this uh, festival, had the first prize. Um, this was like a very... A huge inspiration for Mamachan. After that experience, he also sent his films to some other festivals in mainland China who got selected to some festivals. He came to the US to study film, but he realized that he wanted to learn filmmaking by making them. So he stopped going to the school, but he started to work on his film projects. Um, this is his first feature film about the emotional effect and physical uh, 
psychological um, trauma of the ongoing atrocity and the oppression of the Chinese government on Uyghur living in the diaspora. He shared um, the basic uh, synopsis of the film that he is working on. This is a film about a student living and studying in the U.S. He was living a nice life in the U.S., thinking uh, after graduating uh, to go back to the homeland and work there and have a comfortable life there because of his fa family's um, privileged position. But uh, after the mass detention policy started in 2017, his whole life got upside down as many Uyghurs in the diaspora. His father suddenly disappeared. Everything he knew and believed trembled. He is financially cut off from his family. He faces lots of challenges. His legal status in the U.S. is very fragile, and he cannot have a normal communication with his family. He lives a um, um, disconnected uh, life uh, in between the situation back home and his life in the U.S. He is split in between speaking up for his father to ask where he's detained or why he's detained or not, uh, risking to cause more harm to his family and uh, being silenced. He experiences a huge emotional gap with his uh, mother and his girlfriend with whom who cannot talk openly and himself he is thrown into this uh, very deep uh, psychological stress. This film explores the inner struggle of the protagonist through dreams and dreamlike situations which is very apparent to Uyghur uh, situation in the diaspora. Lots of us experience this very oppressive um, feeling of uh, being cut off from the loved ones, etc. Et um, there are some uh, humors as well in this film, some nice human bondings with uh, his friends in the US, and some hopelessness balanced by some hope, as Mehmet-chan puts it. Um, well, here's a conversation that we had with him about the making of his film. Hello, Mehmet Jan. Thank you very much for being with us. It's a real pleasure and an honor. Uh, I have been a big fan of your short films for a long time, actually. So I'm really excited to know more about your work right now. So just a kind reminder that you are preparing a video film entitled Wedding for the End and that the film was scheduled for release in the summer as a short film, but then it was rescheduled and changed into a longer film. So you might not want to spoil anything, but may I still ask, what, what can you tell us about the film and, and its content? It's been, uh, it's been really like a pleasure to meet you again. It's, uh, it's such a pleasure. And I would like to tell that this is a really interesting and a long journey for us. Like, uh, I would say this is kind of like uh, really, as is, as I mentioned, it's interesting the the journey. It was like um, 2021, the beginning of the year. I had uh, I just as as a time I just came back from uh, Washington D.C. visiting from visiting my friend, and then I saw some his uh, depression, depressing, and some kind of a very frustrating moment. 
And then I have some um, idea to how about uh, write down this little story and make it look short film or something. And then I started writing the script. It was like roughly like a 15 minutes uh, project to be honest. And then my idea really like a basic and then I didn't think that much. Uh, even I had a thought to, I can put some money from all in my own pocket to make this happen. As kind of like, a, leave it like to kind of like really. Uh, it's like the work that I done, you know. And then I started writing and then I showed to my friend. And then he said, this is, uh, looks good. Um, the whole frame is, it looks good. We can make it more like a, uh, Added like a more detailed stuff, like a more explore the characters and and some like uh, the story, the the beginning and the middle and the end and the whole thing. And then I start writing again, and I showed to Tyra Hammond, and he, uh, you know, so uh, he gave me a lot of advice. And then it suddenly became like uh, forty-five pages stuff, and then. It's kind of like idea. It's really hard to make this. It's 45 minutes. It's not short film. It's not feature. And kind of in the middle of the way. And then I just wanted to make it on a short film, like uh, 35 minutes. And then including like a 30 minutes credit, like 38 or something. And then everything was looks good. And then I just dig out the whole... Uh, the details and then explored a little deeper the characters and the whole thing and looks good. And then we found the producer here. It was mid of 2021. And then we, uh, at the time, seems like uh, everything was going well, but and another problem is I wanted to make this film in Uyghur, to be honest. So it's uh, suddenly we faced a huge challenge here. We have to find is it actors here. And then we start searching actors. Mukadas, I think she went through the whole thing. She knows uh, how the stake it was. And then we start looking for the actors, <clears throat> actors all over the place. And then during the time we, when, we, when we were looking for the actors, we had a little disagreement that the company who the responsible to produce the film. And then the end of 2021, just suddenly this all, everything upside down and we terminated the agreement and then we just split, just like the end of the work. And kind of like uh, everything delayed, like limitless kind of thing. And then um, it was, to be honest, it's really frustrating for me as we worked so hard a whole year and then we ended up like that. So should we make this happen or just abandon and then I had to turn on another like uh, project or something and then I still didn't lose hope and just see this as opportunity I invited another screenwriter here at Hollywood uh, like we worked like two weeks together just like review the whole thing the structure uh, the character the story whole thing and then over and over, like uh, two or three weeks. Then we came up an idea. We came up with a new um, story. It looks like more 
comprehensive and more like uh, like I, when I read it, I feel like more at least. So um, and then from I asked uh, for, asked help from my friend to find a good producer for it. So he found the one guy, and then I I sent the, the script and he read it and he liked it. Uh, yes, we can produce this film. So. Um, what's your plan you still want to make it happen in Uyghur language or something i said i'm i was still insist let's make it happen in Uyghur. i maybe said uh, this is uh, at least thought in my mind was if you make this happen in Uyghur, the characters will be fine and then they will express their deeper emotion very like uh, correct way or very like deeper way and we started casting uh, we find that the couple from Washington, D.C., and then we went to the Washington, D.C. 2022, middle of 2022, yes, for the city locations. Uh, help, uh, help from the entire Ahmed. He uh, locked all the locations we needed. So we went to the like, Washington, D.C., and then we found the couples interest it seems like you're really interested to be part of this film and we had a really great conversation like a few hours yeah i just explained everything that i needed everything that i demanded and then he said yes sir we can do that this is a really like a great story and then this is really like a great opportunity for us and then i said okay we it seems like everything as a time went very smooth but when I came back after two days, you sent me a text. Uh, I think I'm really sorry we cannot make this happen because uh, this is a kind of like really deep thing. I mean, didn't think that much after we read the script over and over. And then we found out that this is the characters like emotion. That the layers is too deep. Like we cannot express the whole thing you asked from us. So we don't want to spoil it. And then, and then I said, um, Okay, uh, thank you for letting me know. This uh, this is already one side. Uh, this is not good news for me. Other side is really good news for me. Because if you don't tell me now, and then on the set we start shooting, if this is happening, this is going to be really like a, a disastrous thing. Uh, at least you told me like very in short time, so I can't find another solution for that. And then we start casting again all over the place me and Tyra that's like we start out entirely the US country anybody has ability skill to acting or stuff even we asked the Turkey Kazakhstan everywhere because uh, the huge issue is that even some of them are really interested but they, they cannot come because of the passport and instead the thing and then is the post-production going well all the this thing is we did like very very hot prep and but this casting is still um not going well so overnight i just said okay in this case just make everything in english just knowing just if you just kind of like leading in this way we're gonna end up like really disastrous the result so i called the producer just you know what? This is what I was thinking now because this is like seems like this is we cannot find the right casting like the actors here. So he said, "Yeah, this is uh, exactly what I was thinking. 
it's better to make it in English, more find more professional people. And you can ask uh, everything you wanted from them. I said, okay. And then next day we immediately uh, translate the, the script within a few days and then uh, submit to the producer again, another like a grammatically correct like a script. So we start casting and then casting uh, was went very smooth. And then we found exactly what we found, like uh, what we asking the, the, the actors. So, and then uh, to start shooting and big challenge at the time, still the money, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, money is always a big problem for us. Uh, we, uh, we did like a GoFundMe. Uh, this is a raising money from online. It, we got a really good result. And the people um, directly or indirectly supported us. And some organization um, helped us, some very individual people supported us. So uh, we barely raised the money enough for make a short film. And then after a year, 2023, January 6th, we arrived at Washington, D.C., and then started all the way 16, 10 days. Then we come back. Yeah, just, it was, uh, it was a plan. Plan was a short film, to be honest. We, I never thought we were going to make that future. Even though every single schedule was based on the short film. Every single shot, every single scene, design, set, everything. But... At the end, the editing process somehow ended up with a feature. So it's kind of, I don't know, just uh, I just searched a lot. This is, shouldn't be happened, but it's happening eventually. Now it's filmed kind of like in, now it's um, including credit almost nearly 80 minutes. Stuff. So yeah, we're, uh, we're doing the sound. Thank you. <laughs> sound and uh, the music now. So yeah, it's uh, editing done. Uh, so uh, I'm pretty much satisfied at the result. We've been working like a month and months. We already closed the team members. So uh, yeah, music and sound editing hopefully takes like a few weeks and then yeah, we're ready to release the film. Wow, thank you for sharing all this. That's very interesting. And I think uh, Mukadas and you share very similar experiences in terms of... Uh, uh, seeking for Uyghur actors and uh, and um, facing obstacles uh, in in the process. Um, so you moved from a short film in Uyghur language to a long feature in English language. That's a, a big big change. But uh, you explained very well what happened, and that's that's very interesting to see how difficult it can be to actually make a movie uh, from uh, the Uyghur diaspora. Yeah, it's, uh, sorry, interrupting you, but it's uh, kind of like that. Every time we see one pass, looks good, and then suddenly something happened, a step back, and then just find another pass to go forward like that. It takes like almost two years. First year is really devastating for you. Just once we planned, and all the difficulties, like it became a mountain, like uh, in front of us. We just tried to find out like another way to move forward. And then there's another door 
were open for it. And then we just, yeah, just we tried and then made make this happen. And they ended up with an unexpected result. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> so congratulations on uh, overcoming all these uh, obstacles, obviously. Uh, you, you mentioned briefly that um, uh, you created that um, crowdfunding and, and some people supported you. And so I, I think that's interesting um, for us to understand why people would support a fiction film because you know in times of crisis some people would argue that uh, political action is more important but some people think that art is also very important um, and I wonder what you think about this like uh, why why was this film important to you and to other people who supported you? To be honest this, uh, this is a really good question that uh, before I started making this film It's, I spent like four or five years just thinking about one thing. What kind of film am I going to make? Everybody uh, has a chance to make film. I made film when I was university, but and after I came here, I just one question is spinning in, around in my mind that what kind of film am I going to make? Uh, what is the style would be uh, in the future if I'm going to make film? So uh, one side, we just... Um, really like depressed by the what's happening to us. And and another side is how can we express this in an artistic viewpoint? Uh, I had such a dream. So I went back to home in my dream. I see we barely seen my parents. I suddenly, I felt like I shouldn't be here. My band, the police chasing me. And then they caught me and then they confiscated my passport. It's not that the dreams that that belongs to me. I just talked to a lot of people, the Uyghurs. This is kind of very like collective unconsciousness, like reactions now. Everybody has a kind of like a similar dream. So I added the scenes, uh, this kind of dream in the, this film. I'm obsessed more psychological reaction and the hallucination thing, what we babies think, maybe dreaming. So kind of like a two layers here. One is the reality you're facing and you're going through. Another layer, deeper layer is kind of what you thought and what you're thinking or you're dreaming in the corner of the darkness night. People think, that's what I heard. We have a bunch of like documentary films, for example. Uh, we've seen, we have enough like information what's going on there. But they want to see something, different perspective that's, uh, through the fiction. At least uh, telling while you're telling a story and telling their pain and telling their dreams and hope, kind of like your artistic level. So is it believes that we uh, visionary, this kind of like uh, information is really important. So we need to like a very uh, deep emotion when we're watching the film. So when, that's the one guy he told me and told me that I just I'm long I've been waiting this kind of project be uh, produced but finally we find someone who's doing it so I just supported you guys or something like that. It's mostly uh, somebody he wouldn't work with us but the behind scenes still uh, supported him financially even this little amount of money. Um, Uh, when we were shooting the film in Washington, D.C., some of them came 
and then just like uh, just like uh, showing themselves, supporting us, providing some uh, necessary uh, atmosphere be needed. So I think uh, the very point, even people are scared, uh, do such a thing by themselves, but still uh, there's some courage to help us behind the scenes. And then they think this is really important in professional way. And some individuals like uh, a perspective telling this kind of fiction story and then entertain people, not only from the beginning to end, not deliver the pain, but also entertain people while they're getting entertained and then uh, show them some hope, show them some artistic level, uh, show them some like um, uh, different window to see the things in different perspective. So even if people were worried to commit publicly, they really helped behind the scenes, like you say. So that's uh, that's very positive somehow and interesting to know. Um, may I ask what audiences you had in mind when you made the film? Did you target Uyghurs or non-Uyghurs or both? From the beginning to end, until now, to be honest, I'm not targeting the uh, that we use, to be honest. I want to tell my own story. The story belongs to me. And then you are the audience. You will be invited to watch it. That's, uh, that's the main point. And I want to uh, push myself a little deeper. Uh, even the, the, the language I use, even especially the professional way, camera language, very, very important part. And then, so this is my idea uh, through this uh, different layers telling this story. So my uh, my goal and my uh, targeted audience more like uh, professional people. So would you qualify your film as an art house film? I would say so. Yes, but it's uh, I don't have any right to judge it, you know. I just I have a right to before release film. I try my best, and and the judgment uh, based on the audiences are like professional people. They they gonna say something like that. So and then and then I just I can't realize where I'm ended up. Like uh, like I told you, like when we shooting film, we never saw the future, and we ended up somehow in the future. So this is some kind of like a result always comes from nowhere and then just surprise you. So uh, in this case, throughout the film, we tried really, really our best and our heart. So hopefully, yes, it gets some credit and hopefully it remains like a, a piece of work that uh, never fades so easily. So where do you plan to... Uh show the film uh, i'm curious about that is it supposed to be released in theater or is it more like for festivals or when can we see it uh yes uh, now is we do the limited premiere in the california like a two weeks or something that's what we are uh, talking about with the producer planning it and then i have a plan to premiere the, the, the film in washington dc the place where we shot the film and the place that people uh, have to us. And more, I find something more meaningful is I would like to invite some uh, camp survivors from there 
to watch the film together and then see the reaction. Uh, and then uh, we just submit the film to festivals. We'll see what's gonna happen. And then we just now we're talking about the biggest platforms on Netflix, so the HBO. If we can come up with a deal to release on these platforms. Yeah, hopefully this is gonna happen, the, the, the platforms, whatever the platforms or YouTube, it's gonna happen next, next year. Yeah, until that, we do our best to take every single step, even if it's a little slower, but steady. It was a long process, obviously, that, that you shared with us. Thank you for that. Very exciting, really. Um, very yeah. much looking forward to it. So, yeah, we are working on another project now. It's kind of uh, someone who uh, is escaped from the camp. And after she come to the free world, what she faces in daily life, that traumas that hunting her hunt like heart every single day, and then it's the family matters, and the gap between two generations, and her daughter and the her and the family, something like that. So we're working on that. Hopefully, after this, that will become true. Wow! So you are already working on another project, and that's also a fiction film. Yeah, this is uh, that's the fiction film. Do you think this will create some inspiration amongst Uyghurs in the diaspora to make more movies or to commit more to filmmaking or acting? I think so, definitely. Every single work you've done, it will be legacy for next generation. And it will be the, the, like a live history. It never be forgotten, you know? I really encourage people to write more books about that. And when we speak up, Maybe your speaks can be lost in the history, but when we do some work meaningful, whatever the books, whatever the film, it will be remain for the generation to generation. They will watch it, they will read it, and they will understand what's going to happen. And then hopefully one day, they will not allow this kind of thing happen again. One day, I believe we will not live in this kind of darkness. Uh, will be as uh, sunshine will become one day. So the more people, young people, uh, writers or filmmakers see this kind of work, uh, this is a very great like inspiration for them. Uh, this is really proof we didn't keep silence. We didn't like uh, uh, leave uh, like kind of blanket that we don't want to see the real world or something. We just did something meaningful. And this is also kind of really good inspiration for ourselves as well that's an even better conclusion actually thank you so much uh for this that's a great opportunity for us and uh, we'll keep you updated anyway and yeah why not a follow-up after the film is released <laughs> yeah i will i will keep you updated as well once the film released and every single process yeah really great when uh when we see the film then i'm sure many other questions will pop up Yeah, and uh, and that would be a kind of a, a second podcast almost. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for the opportunity you're giving me, and hopefully I'll talk to you soon. Good luck! It's it's uh, you're nearly uh, finishing the film, so. It's... Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uyghur Stories is hosted by Mukadas Mijit, Sonia Emin, and Vanessa Franville, and is produced by the Uyghur Art in Exile Project. Our audio engineer is Hasher. Our theme music was also composed by Hasher. Graphics were created by Kashgar Galaxy. 
Uyghur Stories is made possible with the support of the Belgian Fund for Scientific Research and the Université Libre de Bruxelles, or ULB. For more information, please visit us online at uyghurart.ulb.be. That is U-Y-G-H-U-R-A-R-T dot U-L-B dot B-E. Of course, you can find us on Instagram at uyghurart.ulb.be.